0: I ain't got no home to go to, ain't got nothing to sell But my stars will never leave me, even when I'm sold to hell I was born under a blue sky, and I'll die out in the black When I'm gone, don't no one mourn me, cause my debts will drag me back
1: Actually, that would work
2: show up. How to start Q&A. Okay, go. And then I just roll
1: into questions. You do the lovely soundtrack into the, the intro, into that, and then we go. <laughs> we're normally so professional and polished. I
3: think we should be allowed to have one episode that's just pure just chaos. Like, <laughs> <laughs>
2: it's just a bunch of chaos. Gremlins. We're all uh, very tired. <laughs> this is how
0: we are when we're not recording. <laughs> <laughs> Must call weasel man. <laughs> oh, okay.
3: Okay, we probably should introduce ourselves though.
2: <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, so, this is our Q&A for, I guess encompassing all of season 1 of Breathing Space Fading Frontier. And I guess we can also talk a little bit about season 2. But to introduce ourselves, my name is Erica. I am Erica Shaped, and I have I was a writer In season one and season two, and an actor as well. But I do not edit because it's very difficult and mysterious. And then who is going to introduce themselves next?
0: Could I get you guys to get onto the the weasel backup recording?
2: Oh! There. The weasel man knows my secrets now.
0: All right. Since I was already talking, I am Eric. I am slightly less cool than Erica with one less letter, but (laughs) we both do spell our name correctly. Yes. That is very important. I am the editor for these episodes and you can find me on a couple of podcasts because I guess I kind of do
1: this thing now. What are those couple of podcasts?
2: Eh. Oh, that's my favorite one. Is, eh. I'm a big fan. I subscribe to them every
1: week. <laughs> uh, I guess I'm Lee. I write stuff. Uh, I wrote a decent number of the season one and season two episodes. I also mostly do the cat herding behind the scenes, which is fun.
0: There is a lot of cat herding.
1: The cats are really well behaved, though, so it's okay. That's what that's what the producer
3: is the the yeah. one who like does all the juggling, <laughs> yeah. keeping everything in the air.
1: So far, it's done okay. We haven't crashed yet. Touch wood.
3: All right, and I am Scott Paladin. I am a writer, director, editor, voice actor, and I'm not going to list all the other little miscellaneous crap I do because I am compulsively do all of the things, Guyer.
1: <laughs> also, the most professional of all of us, just saying.
2: You also, you didn't introduce yourself correctly. I'm sorry, sir, but your name is Scott <laughs> Scott Paladin. Paladin. <laughs> that is your true and correct name. I'm sorry. <laughs> Okay, I'll go ahead and start with our questions then So the first one is from Siobhan The show setting is sprawling but consistent Even with different writers working on their own episodes How did you accomplish this? And what elements of lore and world building were developed first?
1: That's all Lee's cat hurting So much record keeping So many notes, so many documents With references to other documents and links to them And it's a lot of fun I really
0: need to make a wiki (laughs)
1: Legitimately, though, I I think that the majority of it is taking really good notes and making the notes accessible and alphabetizing them and then talking through any big world developments and changes, like actually discussing it all before it exists.
3: Yeah, it really helps that like before there was even a discord for the or before there were documents, before there was a discord, before there was anything, we were just in a group chat and it started off with a with a like a philosophy of the world. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, we're like, this is low sci-fi, stuff needs to be plausible, no aliens, no AI, no FTL. Like once we had the ground rules, that that helps, uh, That helps. goes a, a long way towards making everything consistent just because we're all coming from the same frame.
1: Yeah, I know I rolled in with some hard, I do not want these things to be in this show because I just, I wanted to make media I would enjoy and there are things I didn't want. And I think that those hard lines definitely shaped the direction because it's it had to go in one direction since so you couldn't include that stuff. So which again, FTL, no aliens, uh, no cold sleep technology. We're three of my big ones.
2: So from Sean, were there any early factions or other powers, corporate, individual, media, et cetera, that you weren't able to get to gel with the rest of the setting? If so, tell us about them, very please.
1: I don't actually have anything that I really wanted in that didn't get in, even if it's just like there are some things that are throwaway Easter eggs for me and nobody else. But other than that, No. Yeah,
3: the, I can't remember anything that we were like, oh, I really wish we could do this that we didn't get a chance to at least mention. Well, we they, we may not have gotten to stuff in depth. Like, yeah. this isn't a faction or individual or power or anything like that. But like the one of the very first things created for Breathing Space was I created an abjad for Belter Graffiti uh, called Belter Sign. And it was literally one of the very first things we did. And then nobody mentions it or uses it until the finale <laughs> of season one, in which it's mentioned for <laughs> half a second. And it's like- This was just the thing. I was like, oh, this would be cool. I'll I'll bring it in. And then it was like, oh, wait, this is I've I've created a written and sign language for a podcast. That doesn't really work.
1: Oops. Oh, well, that actually is my biggest. We didn't get to include this enough because it is so goddamn cool. There is actually, though, I took all of his notes and stuff and turned them into a PDF. So there's like a if you are interested in Belcher Sign, which is signed and written and it's amazing. uh, There's actually like how to like a basic learning manual, which I haven't put on the website. So I will do that today.
0: Someone needs to translate the show into Belter Sign.
1: I'm the sure whole show? Nerds,
0: uh, I'm sure there are nerds uh, nerdy enough to do that. If Klingon could be a thing. This is no.
2: <laughs> Maybe the title. <laughs> the the gentle no from Lee. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, and then there's a part two of the question, or rather a secondary question. Is there anything about the setting you want very desperately for people to know, but couldn't find a way to exposit realistically? I guess that would be oh, a filter yeah, that, sign then as well. Yeah. yeah.
3: We went ahead and answered yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah.
2: Nailed it. We're so good at questions. Um, so, <laughs> next is from uh, Quill Turner, who asks a few questions. The first one there's been a fair amount of mortality in the show. <laughs> and I'm, I'm looking at Scott uh, in the Discord chat now <laughs>
0: um, <laughs> for
2: reasons that will soon become clear, I'm sure. What's your favorite death so far in the series and why? <laughs> Scott. All of them are Scott because we've (laughs) killed that man so many times, Uh, just an absurd amount of deaths. Who actually
1: did all die? Like I'm trying to go through. I had the cowboy in mine. The space Nazi. um, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Who else died
2: in season one?
1: um, Yeah. Oh, the Tereshkova people. They all died. Am I the only one that like, killed people?
2: Classically.
3: You you had a higher mortality rate than I did in my episodes, because I think I pretty much only killed Lance in, in Hello, and then Steel Thumb in Wait for a Stranger Dies. And that's kind of it. Um, we don't have a ton. I, I think the Space Nazi has got to be the fan favorite, though, because it's a, a a Nazi dying on screen.
1: I mean, like... <laughs> I, yeah getting stabbed by a professor it was yeah it,
2: it's very good it's very tropey and I personally appreciate like a villain who is villain shaped and has all of the, the parameters of a villain and you know this is the villain um, and the villain gets their comeuppance I enjoy just the straightforward exploration of that sometimes so that that's a very delightful one for me that's probably my favorite one just because it's very satisfying and tropey
1: I actually genuinely enjoyed that about this, that it's totally okay to, le- like, I did not feel guilty for writing a stereotypical space Nazi. It was great. And if it, it was okay to do that, it was awesome. Yeah, yeah. Being able to lean into tropes is super fun.
2: Yes, I, I think we've all engaged in that uh, to a considerable degree, and I think we've all had fun with it, which I have enjoyed.
1: Raven Station. Raven Station is an amazing ex- a, a example of that.
2: A very, very trope yeah.
1: <laughs> but good.
2: So still from Quill Turner, how do you do sound design for the show? What kind of sounds do you find yourself using most often? And are there any sounds whose origin or source would be surprising or entertaining?
0: Oh, I have a quick answer for that last one. In the the preview trailer things that we did, uh, I was tasked with making suit noises. And what, what were they, like a shirt? getting turned inside out
1: red solo cup
0: plastic crinkly red solo cup and I I think a plastic bag was involved somehow (laughs) just combined them in a way and it vaguely sounds like someone putting on a spacesuit uh, that's magic
3: to to answer that first part um, I mean we we have a variety of sources that we pull from some that we've paid for some that are available for free and then we do a, a fair amount of Foley as well or at least I do when I do my designs and then Lee was kind enough to put together like a library of like consistently used sounds uh, for things like communication devices and stuff. So that when when you hear a, a call being connected at some, during one episode, it'll be the same sort of little computer beep boop noise that will show up later to give that sort of consistent feel across episode
1: to episode. Yeah, that was something else that was important to me is have a degree of consistency that made sense and with a little spe- uh, suspension of disbelief for the setting. But like most you, you I wanted to have the same kind of sounds where in the a real world podcast you'd be like oh that's a dial tone i wanted that to exist in the setting as well but i gotta say my favorite uh scott made foley is the one for the the handcuffs in the f- uh, Radamund- that was cool you took, i remember you posted a picture of like the le- leash adjusty thingies and i'm like okay what and it came out so great that was fantastic.
3: man doing the foley for various episodes is probably my favorite part of the sound design for it's rat falcons there's a scene where characters got manacles on and so i put that scene in real time with the microphone pointed at those and then when when that character needs to move in the scene, I moved the manacles to sort of act along with it, which was so rarely do you get to sort of perform the sound um, in other instances. So I looked for other opportunities to do
1: that too. It really, really, really works. There's a couple where I was like, you can hear the effort that you put into doing them and timing them. And I, I just, I love the work that you're doing That's, with that.
0: Someone get me
3: a shotgun mic so I can do my own Foley too. <laughs>
1: Birthday coming up eventually, right? Uh, I, I
3: even I want my my wife works in a in a lab at a university, and so at one point for for surprising stores, sources, uh, we went up there on a Saturday one day with I had a couple of different uh, microphone uh, recording setups with me, and I was just like, take me to all of the weird laboratory machines and let's just like record as much as possible. So like we
1: that's we, awesome. Oh. oh. Portway Germid's wheel, oh. that one. That's another really <laughs> yeah. good one. Sorry. Okay,
3: I'll tell that one next. Yeah, so we went to every every device, every like centrifuge, every uh, hemostat, every uh, like the the liquid nitrogen doers, the very like we just went through her entire lab, just turning everything on and making it make noise, and then turning them off so that I could then use them in various places. So there, a bunch of those noises made in for like soup noise, soup noises, and ship noises, and things like that. And then yeah, in uh, Greatest Show Off Earth, I needed Portway Germid to have this like rolly wheel noise so, so i i set i had the thing on a again i had it i had it playing in my ear while i did this and i set uh our battery powered electric uh mower up on a paint can so that it could i could spin its wheels and then just when he needed to move i it on and like again performed along with it uh, and i sent i sent hit uh the actor for that for that role a uh, screenshot being like here's your other half of this performance <laughs> <laughs>
1: But that one is another one that's just really, really good.
2: I will say that one of my friends who I had listened to the episode that I wrote, Take a Number, Get in Line, which uh, Scott was kind enough to edit, asked me if I had, because there's a lot of scenes in that wherein the main character is drinking. And I, my friend asked me if I had like, had to drink, like while I was recording to make that sound, um, so it must have it must have worked then as like sounding like Gabs was actually drinking um, because he asked if the, <laughs> I had to do that, basically you know quote unquote on camera, and I was like, oh goodness no, um, goodness no, <laughs> I, I made Scott do that. Um, I, I did not do that
3: for season two. I don't think it, this happened in season one, but I know at least one actor. I heard them physically take a drink of something before they were supposed to make a reaction to having taken a drunk of drink of something.
2: Yes, that and I was like recording Felina goodbye, I think. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No,
3: yeah. Okay. Then there's two, because the one I'm thinking of is in a different episode. So like, oh, yeah,
2: that's just the actor's... acting going yeah, off that's... the chain then. Yeah. yeah.
3: The dedication.
2: All right. Uh, so uh, last question in this segment from Quill Turner, what animal would be best to domesticate for life on a spaceship slash space station in the BSFF verse?
1: I think we actually talked about this at one point. Rabbits are what I stand behind because they're small space. If you're not being super nice to them, they can fit in really small space. They're meat and fur and stuff. Um, That's my like go to spaceship animal. I'm thinking meat, not pets. (laughs)
3: Uh, I think that there's no chance that we go into space and don't eventually take dogs. It's um, mm-hmm. about dogs and cats. Oh, yeah, but, totally. Um, the one that I would like we, have, we, we get a chance to talk about a little bit is that there's a bunch of of insects in space that are being farmed, basically. Mm. So that's because they take up so little space and because you can churn through their generations so quickly and get the um, get, and they're a source of protein and they can basically eat
1: garbage in various forms, I think those are super useful. That actually is the thing we didn't get to include that I really wanted to. I want more food culture of the setting because that's just one of my personal interests. Scott put a little bit of it in, in one of them. Uh, yeah. Brand Joe yeah. the, I walk these hills has a little bit of it, but I would love to. There's just not a natural way to get people talking about their food because it's such a background yeah. thing in your life. It doesn't sound normal to be like expounding on your food, but the bug yeah. stuff is great.
0: We need to have an episode on a grasshopper farm.
2: I have the uh, cricket. I yeah, think we, have, we, have, we a cricket have a cricket farm. cricket farm. Which I think so that, I believe, farm. if I'm not mistaken, I think you suggested Eric because initially <laughs> that episode <laughs> opened in a bar, like a sort of standard uh, cowboy bar scene. But we had a lot of episodes in season two that opened that way, and so <sighs> I think I think it was you that suggested the cricket farm, um, and I'm very grateful for and excited to hear the cricket sounds. Um, <laughs> let's see. <laughs> Uh, so this question is from Eric, aforementioned Eric. Um, how many Scots were killed in the making of this show?
3: The, the joke is that once I got cast in a couple of things, uh, I was looking at my like, oh, man, I, enough of my characters that I'm playing die. Could I be the Sean Bean? You
2: are the Sean Bean. Yeah, <laughs> you are.
3: So uh, season one, three Scots dead so far, I believe. Um, yes. I, I, I'm so <laughs> close to doing another one. I didn't have time to do it because I, I wanted to make a promo where I played. Captain Ronson from Objects in Motion, who then dies. Uh, ah, oh, Yeah,
1: can we just do that? I, after I just couldn't make the cool.
3: structure of the of the idea work because uh, who is he talking to is the real fair. question because he's alone in his. Co- it's a thing that like I couldn't quite make it work. If, it, but if we can, I'll do that one too because mm-hmm. that guy's a like scumbag and he needs to die.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Screw that guy. Um,
1: I just love to hear that setup going into some of the other stuff that we know happens for season two. I'd love to yeah. see. How like the, his yeah? Anyway,
2: uh, so the next question is from Richard: Is there FTL? If so, how does it work? And <laughs> I think we've already addressed that there is no FTL in There's our no in FTL. our universe. That was one of the the laws that uh, we decided upon early on that we yeah. just didn't want to explore that, uh, so we we left that out.
1: How do people get places quickly? Is please just don't ask us that. Uh, there are a couple things that are completely hand waved, and travel time, uh, is one of them. Uh, it doesn't make sense in any capacity whether they go like none of the travel time makes sense either too yeah. much or too little and uh, I'm, I'm sorry I think we do a lot
2: of hand waving yeah. with referring Just, to things as like doing a fast burn or a slow burn like the implication yeah. being you yeah. can burn some sort of fuel to go faster and much more faster and that's that's really all uh we we don't we don't really address yeah. the fact that planets are really far away from each other
3: the the vague thing that i think of is that you're if you're moving from place to place, it's mostly about what kind of G force you can sustain over what kind of period. So like, uh, you know, if you're trying to get from, and then that, that burns fuel. So if you're trying to get somewhere really efficiently, then you would burn a little bit, get up to a certain speed and then just coast at which point you're going to take a very long time to get there. Or you can burn continuously using up a lot of fuel and probably putting strain on both your, your ship and your bodies. Uh, But you'll get there really a whole lot more quickly. So that gives us enough, narrative flexibility that we can just kind of do whatever we need, whatever makes sense for the story.
1: <laughs> it's internally consistent for sure. Actually, this is the one reason that I don't consider this show particularly mm. hard sci-fi uh, is because the the science doesn't actually work. I pull a lot. I, I'm really inspired by Larry Niven and Jerry Pornell's stuff. Uh, it's one of my go-to sources of hard science oh, yeah. fiction Poor stuff. Andy Weir. And this is definitely- Poor Andy Weir is a
3: big inspiration for me on that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 But this is definitely, uh, because I can't science that in a reasonable way, I don't consider this completely yeah, hard sci-fi. So.
3: Characters move at the speed of plot. Yeah, but within reason, too, with rules. like The term I, I like to think of is it's low sci-fi, rather than, like, if you think of something like mm-hmm. Star Trek being high sci-fi in the vein of high fantasy, where they have lots of technology mm-hmm. to solve all of their problems, this is low sci-fi, where, like, there is technology that is basically magic, quote-unquote, because we, we do have some stuff that we don't know how it, how it works but we don't ha- we can't use that technology yeah. to solve all of our problems
1: that's actually one of the founding principles is technology but yeah. it's still going to fuck up
2: so next question uh, from charlie if you could kill one character who would it be and additionally if you could fist fight any character who would it be <laughs> so violence charlie woke uh. up and chose violence <laughs>
0: Love you, Charlie.
2: Um, and we would like to know <laughs> on whom we would like to <laughs> inflict it.
3: The problem is you're asking a bunch of writers who, if they wanted a character dead, Wait, had every opportunity would have to yeah. do it. or
2: we would have engaged them in, in com- we would have, we would have punished them in the plot already.
1: <laughs> Though I'm going to say the character for season two that recorded this morning, the session I recorded this morning is the worst thing I have put onto tape ever. So yeah, wait for yeah. season two. It's the worst <laughs> thing ever. I I, also oh, I know. <laughs> oh, good.
2: Uh, I, I know who I want to fist fight because I had the thought while I was doing the transcripts for that episode. But in advanced readings, the character that Mech plays, <laughs> uh, Septimus Novak. Septimus Novak. I would beat the shit out of Septimus Novak. Septimus yeah. Novak, wherever you're at, if I can meet me in the parking lot, let's go. Um, I would beat the shit out of him. Space parking <laughs> lot. Space parking lot. Let's go. Um, and that, that's that's the only one I can think
1: of. <laughs> I wanted to fist fight Alex, who Beck also played. So <laughs> yeah,
2: he is kind of a little shit. A little, Sorry, a little Hank, bit We love you.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. My my answer is also a season two character who I can't reveal uh, yet. But okay. um <laughs> the other option is to resurrect Camp, Captain Ronson and kill him again.
2: <laughs> kill him again? Yeah.
3: You'll find out why <laughs> again fair. in season two. <laughs>
2: And then Charlie asked an additional question. Are there any uh, planets or places you'd like to explore or explore further? Do you think there is any planet that was left uninhabited?
1: I want more terminal station. That's exactly what I was going to say. I want to write on terminal station at some point. I have a very strong mental idea of what that space is like. Um, Yeah. I I honestly, I want to see more earth. Um, We, we have, we've got
3: one episode on earth so far and it, Earth is such a big, rich place and it's it's I want to see how it's changed. Um, So, yeah, I would love to see more Earth.
2: I would like to write more on Earth. Um, And then I'm also we've like touched it a little bit, but I would like to work with a little bit more with Venus as well. Oh, yeah. Because we have some really mm. interesting concepts for what's going on on Venus um, and yeah, how it's yeah. been affected by the solar storm at the end of the first season. Yeah, um, yeah. But I, I don't feel like we have really we just haven't quite got the chance to explore it a whole lot. But that would be my two big ones if I uh, for an, for another episode, if I wrote one.
3: That's that's almost a a wish we could have gotten it in there in season one, because the idea that there are like floating cities on Venus uh, that are just floating in the clouds, because there's a there's a level on Venus's atmosphere that is relatively uh It's a moderate temperature and a relatively stable um, atmospheric pressure. And you could literally inflate a balloon of nitrogen oxygen as as a breathable atmosphere and stand in it. And then you could float around in the upper atmosphere and survive, which is
1: totally cool. Well, I do think there are places that are uninhabited in terms of... We've, we've we've sort of hand waved where some asteroids are built, some are stations, some are asteroids that existed that we put more stuff on. There are definitely lots of spaces out there that are just nothing. I think I would love to see at some point like a castaway story where you end up marooned on a on an asteroid somewhere. Um, as
0: long as there's a volleyball.
1: <laughs> this,
3: this particular answer is subject to anybody in the future changing because we didn't define it. But I think that Uranus and Neptune, those, those systems are pretty bare. Um, we have not touched. We have not mentioned a lot there, and so I, I think that there may not be a whole lot of, of human settlement there. That may be the kind of thing where people show up and then grab some resources and leave.
1: I feel like we had a couple of things that were in Neptune that blew up and died. Yeah, that's where the Neptune mining disaster was. So, and Syracuse Station is by Neptune too, which got. So then, yeah, it's, it's, maybe it's maybe maybe it's haunted. It's unlucky or something.
3: <laughs> that's cool. I like that. Planet's haunted.
2: Space is haunted. Yeah, yeah.
3: that's season two for you.
2: Uh, from Chris, uh, Lee mentioned that the writers went back and foreshadowed stuff from advanced readings and theoretical helioseismology. I hate you for making me read that, Lee. In previous episodes. I had to say it as it's a
3: Southerner, word. okay? Like,
2: for the credits. <laughs> I'm from Appalachia, shit! Uh, <laughs> um, what were some of those hints and clues that were we went back and foreshadowed uh, for the solar storm, essentially?
1: Those were all so good. You guys were all super smart about how you did it.
2: I know in my episode, I think uh, the only thing I went back in because it wasn't an episode that really dealt with that at all. And it was sort of pretty early on in the timeline of like, you know, before the storm happens, um, is I mentioned like in the VA hotline recordings that you could get an update on the solar storm tracker. But I think it was down because the VA Um, and I think that's the only thing that I went back in and added.
3: I know I added a direct reference in Objects in Motion because it became the reason why nobody could track the the the, the scouts um they we couldn't triangulate their location because of an unusually powerful solar storm and then i think that in next big thing Bahara Madara's company had just finished building helio the Alkyo helio station there might have been one in random falcons too i feel like we, it was one of the things where we had completed season 1 and then we th- that we thought of the idea for the finale realized it would be a pretty good thing to do and then we're like oh crap let's quickly shove all of this back in <laughs> like go back and rewrite stuff
1: but it works really well. I know uh, Attention Associates, uh, they were talking about how they had just taken on the Helios delivery route and talking about how it's right inside the sun and uh, uh, Yukon people are dying because of it. Oh, yeah. And so. and
3: uh, it gets mentioned in Greatest Show Off Earth, too, because that's why Buxley Bones has to tell um, Alwas w- that where he's going is like, I don't with the sun stuff going on. I don't I don't trust the comms. So it's like, OK, we're, yeah, we, we managed to pepper it in pretty well.
1: Mm-hmm. The same thing with a uh, good night is just a uh, comes run reliable because of this thing um, that was so early that I didn't really need much. I'm trying to remember the later ones remembering what I did. Re- has nothing because it's just it's a weird story.
3: Yeah. yeah. neither does um, I walk these hills because it's entirely
1: in the past. I'm trying to remember what other episode. There are so many of it. We did so much. Good Lord.
2: Uh, so the next question, I want you to know that you can't see me, but I'm raising my hands up to my head in a sort of exasperated motion while I say this, um, cause it fits with the question, which is aliens, <laughs> uh, so that's the question, just that with three question marks, aliens. Um, I guess the, the expanding upon that would be, why did we not want to include that specifically? Uh, cause I think we've already addressed the fact that we do not have aliens in this, yeah. uh, in this universe.
3: Aliens, along with several other subjects, aliens, uh, a little bit FTL, uh, true artificial intelligence. I think the moment that that becomes introduced into a story, the story should logically become about that. That would be the biggest thing to ever happen to humanity. And it would have such ripple effects and so many things that would have to follow after it that, like, you kind of can't tell any other story while that's going
1: on. (laughs) Exactly. That was sort of where I was coming from too. Is that I don't, alien stories or first contact stories or late contact stories are fun, but it's not the stories we were setting setting out to tell here. And you couldn't have written anything else once that was like you well, said. The
3: only other way to do it would have been to set things so far in the future that aliens are old news, like sort of Star Wars yeah, style, and you but don't like
2: care, yeah, yeah,
3: and that just wasn't the that just wasn't where we were headed with the with the. Onion.
1: I felt the same way about FTL, except I didn't want to move outside of the solar system. And with FTL, you're instantly going to already be... I didn't trust my knowledge to write anything outside the solar system and didn't want to learn it. So... But yeah, aliens are nice, but not 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 for this setting.
2: No, I think that's fair. Uh, that that fits with what kind of made sense to me as well. Which is one of the things I've appreciated about writing for this is we're able to write really sort of small personal stories yeah. set in this very big universe, and okay. it does become more difficult if it's like, well, why do we care about this? sad space cowboy man if there's aliens um so uh, (laughs) i appreciated that that was excluded from our particular uh universe just because it's it it, yeah it does change the scope of the stories that we're trying to tell next question is from alice what's some of the inspirations behind the peregrination as i again turn my head to scott's face on the little discord chat window um Uh, to go
3: yeah, the peregrination was they actually don't originate inside of uh, breathing space. I was working on a, a project before breathing space that didn't end up going anywhere. And I I was doing an interactive thing with the audi- with my Twitter audience asking questions about like, well, the story starts here. Then this happens. This and this happens. And I came up with the family of families idea from that. And then when we started to work on breathing space, we had a kind of a hole for another faction. And I said, oh, the peregrination will fit perfectly into this. Um, and they did. Um, the, for inspirations, um, very obviously, uh, the Corians from Mass Effect. Um, I've, I've since started replaying Mass Effect because I started a podcast about replaying Mass Effect and I didn't realize quite how much I had stolen from the Corians. I was like, I knew I had done it. And then I was like, oh, oh these are a lot closer to the family than I remember them being. <laughs> and then also there is a Robert A. Heinlein book called Guardian, not Guardian, the Gal- uh, Citizen of the Galaxy. And of Heinlein, he's a problematic fave um, and in uh, Citizen of the Galaxy, there's a faction called the free Traders who are these space bear- or space, spacefaring families who have these this weird structure and like a, a whole language unto themselves and this broad expansive um, overarching culture that is lives only within their spaceships and about the transferring. and so they were a huge influence as well. And then a little bit also, the Clans from the Battletech Universe, not so much I was taking inspiration from them, but as a kind of response to the clans, who was like a a group of people who went off, got weird, and then came back, except not without the uh without all of the eugenics and stuff involved in that
2: went off, got weird, and came back should be the title of my autobiography. <laughs> Next question from Alice: How do you balance the grimness of a spacefaring future in the thrall of capitalism with the hopefulness of a better tomorrow? First of all, what a lovely question! Yeah, (laughs) that's a fantastic question. Damn. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: One of the problems we ended up coming up against was that we kept trying to out
3: evil real life, and then
2: real life. (laughs) You can't. We can't
3: yeah,
0: yeah.
1: Our, our
3: space amazon is never more hard. evil than the real amazon
2: yeah how many times lee did you yeah. like did you see oh news about real life amazon and you were like fuck <laughs> they're doing they, the thing. Up, like,
1: yeah. they would take the, but worse somehow well yeah, and it that is, was, it that is was kind a of
2: a, an interesting situation to be in where as a writer you have to be cognizant of you can't, you know, you can't sort of go too hard because you, you have to approach it from the perspective of, well, the audience won't believe that. I have to make something that's immersive, that's believable. So I'm going to dial it back because I, I don't want somebody to approach this and be like, wow, you know, this is ridiculous. But then... The version you were telling, like, especially with the Yukon stuff was milder (laughs) than real life. And that's what you had shown in because you're uh, like, there's no way people I'm, you know, I'm being too much of a parody. (laughs) I'm making it too silly. People won't believe it. And then real life goes and and does the thing, (laughs) Um, which is a bit of a bummer. Yeah, a little bit. But I, I think that for the hopefulness of a better tomorrow, I think that we've all done a good job of telling very personal stories about this universe. And I personally, one of the things I've enjoyed about being in this project is that we do tell like, you know, sort of sad or tragic stories, but none of it feels very like pointlessly grimdark. Um, And and, and I think, and that's something that I don't think we discussed in advance, Um, but it's just sort of how we all approach things as storytellers. I don't think any of us want to tell stories where it's pointlessly, Like, I think we all like to have hope in our stories. And I think that's sort of come through naturally that even like if our characters are very broken or if the situation is very dire, even without sort of deliberately trying to achieve that goal. I think we sort of naturally all of us Mm -hmm. as individuals want to tell a story where, you know, people are there for each other. Definitely found family is a very common theme in all of our stories.
3: Well, and just general human connection and stuff we were we were we were talking about this a little bit. In the in the chat at one point, and the the phrase I remember coming out was like the idea of the world is harsh, but the stories we tell within it are hopeful, and yes. that that creates yeah. a sort of chiaroscuro effect where like the world itself is actually very rough. Like all of these stories take almost all of them take place in a work in a out in the vacuum of space, where literally everything around it, all of these people want to kill them all the time. You know, just going outside a door without an exo suit on could kill you, but. Everybody works together and, and, and helps each other and they find connection and they, they build families and like a community is built because of the way the, the the people within the story interact. And
1: that's super important to sort of the the underlying message of the show. I think some of it for me is I, I, I wanted I let myself write a little bit of wish fulfillment about this is the world I want to live in. Uh, I want to live in this world where, yeah, because I, I can't like, even my most optimistic, I can't make the world not suck, but. I can, in my most optimistic, make everybody help each other, and I think that allowing myself to write the harshness of it, but helping pe- people helping each other and coming out on top ish anyway was just almost therapeutic for me to let that goodness happen. I also let myself people get let people get what they deserve sometimes in advanced readings. I let the evil capitalist lady get debatably killed. Oh um, no, she did. And dead. that felt she really dead. good. Yeah, yeah. She better be dead. <laughs> she did. And I mean, that was definitely. Yeah, it was I'll very much her a in the parking lot nobody dude. ever has this get. Yeah. Her and
2: Septimus <laughs> yeah, in but it the felt space really good. parking lot. Let's go. i was just going <laughs> to kick the shit out of half the cast of Advanced Readings, which would make you think that I don't like that episode. I really do. I just want to like, I just want to throw hands a little bit. <laughs>
1: They're all academics, capital A, uh, yeah. so it's like, they're very sweet and wonderful, yeah, just but also- like the
2: nemesis of me, comma, <laughs> ahimbo. Uh, um, I'm like, I need to shove you in lockers. Let's go. Um, it's frankly really I...
3: impressive when you can have a character that shows up and you just, the, the audience immediately hates them. Like, that's a, like, when it's intentional, yes. of course, but like, yeah. that is effective writing. They're like, mm-hmm. the moment that they show up, you're like, oh, I, I need to throttle that person. <laughs>
2: Yeah, no, Septimus is vile, and Mech, I'm sure you'll listen to this at some point. I want you to know that I love you dearly, but you are really excessively good at playing characters who I want to beat the shit out of. Love you, mean it. That was one of
1: the... (laughs) Novak was one of the... I didn't write characters directly for people very much, but that one was specifically written for him because I wanted to see him take it up, that, that pedanticness, awfulness. I wanted to see how far I could push him to do it. And it was beautiful, and I was very happy that happened, so I am content with this.
2: The next question from Alice is a complete turn from the last one. Are there any cool new flavors of soda or ice cream in the future?
1: This is what I mean. We didn't do food culture enough.
3: The thing I always like is, whenever I try to, when I try to create anything for, the, for food in that world, was try to jam two things that don't sound like they would go together together. So it's, it's got to be something really weird, like... Uh,
2: a wet banana.
3: I don't know, it's gotta be like cockroach flavored or something that's like
1: that really doesn't sound right. <laughs> I'd love to see like space fried ice cream where the inside oh, yeah. is still liquidy and like or ice creamy and then there's some sort of coating on the outside that keeps it in and you bite through yeah, it yeah. and get ice cream.
3: Oh, that could be a thrice fried pie. Oh god, I had to say it this time now. No. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> ice cream pie. Uh, uh.
2: <laughs> I love every episode that the phrase thrice fried pie. Has appeared in. Um, I have heard the actor who has been forced to say it audibly go, "God damn it!" Because <laughs> um, it's a. I put it yeah. in yeah, two I, two. I have it in my episode so too. Yeah. The, the, <laughs> so we just keep perpetuating, making actors say it because it's awful to say. The um,
3: the moment that I thought oh, no. of that because I was like, I need a I need a carnival thing. Okay, blah blah blah, and I wrote it and I I wrote it and then I tried saying it aloud and I couldn't do it and I said, well, that's going to stay in there
1: because it's just a mean thing to do.
2: This <laughs> is really mean. Yeah. <laughs>
1: I'm also a huge fan of the dough-filled pies. like that just is, is beautiful. <laughs> Extra it's a beautiful tauts. thing.
2: Um, another question from Alice, what informed your decision to make the show more realistic sci-fi? Was it informed by the prevalence of more like softer or fantastical sci-fi podcasts?
1: So I didn't listen to a whole lot of audio dramas till I started working on this, and I mean, now I'm devouring them. But my inspiration is that this is what I want to listen to. I have trouble finding hardish sci-fi, the kind of that like I love Star Trek. I love Star Wars as a thing, but I had a lot of trouble finding stuff that satisfied this one particular kind of science fiction, Firefly, but not. And that's what I wanted to, to be able to listen to. So I decided to make it, yep. and people helped.
3: Yeah, yeah. It's Similar, it came out of a uh, for me at least, it was a a desire to see more of some stuff that I like. So I. I was playing a ton of hard space mm-hmm. shipbreaker when i when we started writing this i um <laughs> I like firefly. I like I like the the world of a, a, a future universe where everything is still sort of run down and broken, which is the the parts of Star Wars that I like, the parts of uh, Battletech that I like where everything is still kind of it's not new and polished and it's bro- it's well it's just, everything's all busted ass and barely working, and that is it's just kind of an aesthetic choice at that point.
1: I also wanted to see a little more of people. I feel like some, some some science fiction doesn't take it far enough. In that, sure, you have people doing this thing in the space or whatever, but you're not actually seeing how it fundamentally changes society and how society and people interact with each other. And yeah, we're showing a lot of people are still people in space, but they're being people in different ways. That's informed by where they live and how they live, and that's something I like to exist and I like to see. So.
2: The next question is from Gregory. What was your favorite line of dialogue that ended up on the cutting room floor?
3: We did do a lot of yeah cutting. The, I have a, or at least with me, I, I'm sure I did cut because there's stuff that got cut in edit in like early edits of of scripts where it's like, oh, this isn't working. I need to just go back and rewrite it. Um, but the moment that I stop working, like the moment that I cut it, I it goes out of my frame, out of my mind like a goldfish. Like it didn't. It, never, it might as well never have existed.
1: <laughs> No, I did have one uh, where there was some major editing that happened after it had all been recorded because I listened to it and it just didn't work. The beginning of Oh Beautiful, there was a real, honestly, a really fun argument between two students in Professor Said's class. And it honestly came out really neat and it was fun to listen to. But then listening to it several months down the line when we edited it, it included some stuff that had ended up not. Getting into the setting that ended took the setting in a weird direction, and it just went on too long, and it sucked to have to cut it because the actors did a great job, and I still managed to keep them in. They each got like two lines in it, but it wasn't able to get kept as an argument. So,
0: you know that is something we could release as extra content, maybe.
1: Uh... It still it breaks the setting though. That's the thing.
0: Well, not as canon, just to, to uh, yeah, I'd like to share it, maybe
1: it exists. It's edited. Yeah, the. Um, and just generally,
3: any anytime that you get to a point, like I, I feel terrible, like making people do a dialogue and then for any reason having to cut it, we try really hard to, to get to the point where we have to do cuts after stuff's been actually spoken. <laughs> it, it sometimes is necessary, but yeah, just that like, you know, especially if somebody's entire part got cut or something like that, that really makes us. Um, were there any, I'm trying to remember if there were any sort of false start episodes that we like got way down into making that had then end up, we got tossed in entirely. Um, I feel like there was, I feel like there was at least one that was like, oh, I had one. I never, this one never even got to the stage of, uh, of me showing to anybody because it became clear it was not part of the, the, um, it's not part of the universe. It's not it's not a BSF story, um, which was it's a guy who's out. Basically, the idea was there was a, um, a wormhole that had been discovered outside of the system, like out out in the in the interstellar space. They found a hole in space, like a, a, a wormhole from one place out into the middle of, of like not even to another star system. And so they set up a space station next to it. And the story was this entire this one monologue by a guy who was working on the space station and felt the call of the void to jump through the hole in space out into the middle of nowhere. Um, It's very spooky. Yeah, which was. Yeah, it was a neat idea. I like it. And then but like this was super early in the development process. Uh, We were still hashing out exactly what the universe looked like. And I got I got a ways into it. And then I realized I'm like, oh, this doesn't fit with the setting at all. Um, And just, you know, it's, it's still sitting on my hard drive somewhere.
2: Whenever I, because the first time I've ever written a script um, was when I wrote uh, my season one episode. That's the first time (laughs) I've ever written a script. Um, Normally, I just write sort of like long form fiction. And so when I do that, I have a particular way I go about it, where if there's like lines or dialogue or anything like that, that I cut, I keep it in sort of a separate file in case I want to reuse it later or whatever the case may be. But with script writing, it, it tends to be more of like like a natural process of Mm -hmm. when I edit, it's just gone forever now. Goodbye. But it's usually not major sections. It's usually just like slight edits. Or I do try to put a lot of power in the actors to if they want to rephrase something in a way that they think they can say more naturally to just let them do that versus saying like the exact words I have written to the letter. But it ends up kind of being like that.
1: I tend to overwrite monologues a little bit and let characters talk a little more than they should. So I did have a couple sections where the whole thing wasn't cut, but like the middle, because it ended up being like a three minute monologue that said the same Mm -hmm. thing over and over that I didn't catch as an editor. But as soon as someone else is saying it to me, I Mm -hmm. can hear it. So I had a couple of those where it was just repetitive stuff that amped it up, but didn't really. Yeah. Those got cut, but not many of them. So,
2: Um, and then we had a question from general chat that Eric tagged me in What was the original moment of inspiration for the show? Uh, The light bulb moment (laughs) where it was decided, we should make this, we should make a show of this.
1: Scott Paladin Space shanties. the Uh, The the story is
3: that um, I was laying in bed one night um, I had just heard the song Dawson's Christian, um, a few weeks ago, a few weeks before, and I was thinking about how there needed to be more cowboy songs set in space. And like you do on Twitter, I was like, oh, this would be a good idea. You know? And I started riffing on it and I wrote the very first version of blues for the block, the lyrics for it, which I just wrote like, man, blah, 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 blah. He really do the thing, fire it off, go to bed. And then in the middle of the night, Jem, Jeremiah, who the, the person who ended up uh, singing it had sung long and like Put, put it on Twitter, and I was like, "Oh my god, this is amazing!" And then, like, the the process of having that then turned into a real song, and then also an entire podcast. And it's a, such
2: on- a lovely song, it <laughs> fucking slaps. So oh, I'm gonna good. be honest, yeah, it's so good, it's so yeah. Good. <laughs>
1: I heard the, the the audio of the song and was like, this needs to be a thing. This is not OK being just this. This needs to be a big thing. And then asked if anyone wanted to be part of the, the big song thing.
3: existed before the, the rest yeah, of yeah, the show. Yeah. So that's yeah. the order. And then the real and that's the that's the kernel, the um, the little seed at the beginning that the pearl forms around. And then a lot of the forming of the pearl was uh, Lee grabbing a bunch of people and just shoving us into a group chat and then into a discord and being like, make a thing.
1: I was so terrified to do that. I was like, who am I to talk to all these cool Internet kids? How are they? Not, they're not going to. How? What if they don't want to be invited? I was just seriously terrified that whole first like two months that uh, you guys were going to realize I was putting together this, this totally I'm a fake person, <laughs> putting a fake thing together. And then you just kept talking. And so I kept writing it down. You realize you are now the, the scary Internet person
2: that no, everyone
0: wants to
1: work with. No.
2: <laughs> yeah, you are. God, that's terrifying. <laughs>
1: It was really scary, though, to invite everybody into the chat the first time.
2: I will exercise my right as um, the person who is reading the questions to add questions of my own now.
3: Yeah, um, I have one, too.
2: <laughs> Excellent. Um, well, let's hear yours first, Scott. Go ahead.
3: OK, well, the, the question I have for for y'all is I've seen my perspective of the production of the show quite clear because I lived it. But there are certain parts of it that happened a little bit off screen. So like. I want to know what you guys like, what your experience with the casting process was. Um, I I found it very interesting. I never cast for a show before process of how do we pick the uh, the the lines of dialogue and then the actual process of what it looks like to go through, go through the submissions and how that how that sort of feels to happen. Because I'd love to hear your thoughts on it.
2: Oh boy. <laughs> so so for I'll say for season 1 it was very easy for me um because I'll I'll be completely honest I'm pretty sure that I had one audition per part and so I just I was like perfect they're great I love it um and then it ended up being like everybody was very well cast and I was very pleased with it so it was very straightforward. And for season 2 I had a meltdown um because I had so many auditions, because we got a lot more auditions for season two. And so what I ended up doing is um, I did the terrible millennial thing where I was like, I'm going to ignore this and not deal with it. Um, And I ended up like having to sort of uh, force myself to sit down and listen to it because it was, it's so difficult to hear, like, I had enough wonderful auditions where I could have cast my episode for season two over like numerous times with completely different casts. And so it was very difficult to pick like who I would actually put through. And what I ended up doing is listening to them all and like sorting them into like yes, no, and maybes and then going back through. And then I, I was cognizant of like who had already been cast in several parts um like i said i don't know if i'm supposed to admit that <laughs> yeah no i do that
3: too i absolutely do that it, yeah it's a little bit of like like a like a puzzle game sometimes with the when once we get to the point where we're discussing it with everyone else it's like oh if you're going to use this person for that then that was really, some of my pressure to put that person in mind but that means that i can use this other person who is good like it can be a really good tiebreaker and also it means that like oh well if you want to use them for this then maybe like that means their schedule will be overblown i'll do it on this you know like, it, it it can be like a like a like a game of Sokuban where you're like trying to push the blocks out of the way to get the other. Exactly.
2: The- Cause we want, we want differing voices. We don't want to, we don't want to like obviously wreck somebody's schedule. And we also want to make sure that we're being fair because it's, you know, it's very much still and this is an unpaid hobby project. We want to be fair to the people who want to participate. Um, and so I, I do I do keep in mind, like, you know, if somebody has been cast already and somebody else's, and I have an equally good audition, then that might be the tiebreaker is yeah. like, well, this person doesn't has not been cast yet. So I, I since, the, you know, I, I hold these auditions in equal esteem, I'll go with the person who hasn't been cast yet. And so I, I did a lot of that. And as far as picking the lines, for me, it was going through and figuring out what I want the character to To be portrayed as like what sort of are the main emotions that I'm concerned about the actor being able to express? Is it anger? Is it comedy? Is it like tragedy? Like for my sad cowboy character in season two, I was very concerned with like he needs to be funny, but he also needs to be big tragedy times. Um, And so I picked like sort of like very (laughs) big emotion lines where he was big tragedy times. Um, so that was the main thing that I went with, but yeah, casting was very difficult and I'm not good at it. Uh, and it was very (laughs) stressful (laughs) Um, and I was so thrilled that we had so many more people in season two, but it also broke my brain and it was very hard because I wanted to cast everybody and I just couldn't.
1: I think casting is one of the few parts where I find it relatively easy finding the lines and stuff. I I don't know if it's just because the way I tend to create stuff, but I just go through and pick the ones where, like I said, with emotions, but I have a very difficult time listening to people's recorded voices, like not necessarily saying my words, but until it's produced, Mm. I have a really, really hard time listening to voices. Uh, Same, I have the same issue with looking at people's pictures of people's faces. Uh, So it actually took me for listening to season one, it took me a lot of psyching myself up and I was glad I could hold off until all of the ones were in. So I could yeah. just muscle through it one and like in one setting, it got easier for season two though. Actually season two was not that painful, which was really, really nice. Cause there were a lot more additions.
3: Yeah. But yeah, the, it's interesting, I found that that as I was I, I feel like I learned a lot from season one to two about picking the lines and, and writing them up like I, I have a tendency when I write scripts, I don't tend to use what are called Riley's, which are the parenthetical statements at the beginning of a dialogue. I don't I don't tend to use them at all in my scripts. Um, but I was like, oh, People weren't, they don't don't have enough direction from the, in the, with just three or four lines to know who the character is and to know what to do. So I need to add those in. And then for me, at least it was a little bit about finding, there's usually one line in a script that you, for a character that you go, that's the essence of the character right there. Like there's usually one line where, you know, sometimes you go almost everything you need to know about this character is in this one line. (laughs) Let me try to make sure that's one of them. And then I got super nerdy with my, with my decision because I find it like you guys or, or, or. Erica, especially when you're overwhelmed with stuff where you're like, how do I pick between, I have like five really good people, especially for season two, all of those episodes I could have cast a couple times. So it's to the point where I was, I started to, I ended up grading everybody uh, just saying like, cause then, cause then it's like, okay, well, this is a, this is a B, you know, they have this problem or that problem and then writing those things out. And then I was at the end able to go, oh, okay, well look at my A's, look at my, and work those out. And then occasionally, like once, once a season so far. I've gotten an audition so good that like the moment the person starts talking, I have to pause my, uh, my, my player stand up and walk around the house to get the chills to go out of my spine so I can go back down and listen to it. Um, and that's happened a couple of times now. Every time that it's happened, that person has then delivered, of course, an amazing performance. My, my best, my favorite performances from season one and probably two at this point, although I haven't heard everybody yet, but. It's, it's like there's occasionally you get a person, you're like, oh, they get this character in a way that I like, even I kind of don't. They've got a whole bunch they're bringing to it, and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And like that feeling right there, so good. I lo- I'm so pl- lucky to have been able to experience something like that where you're like, I created a character and somebody came in and brought more to it than I had written there. And it's amazing. Yes, that yeah. is
1: such an amazing feeling. Um,
2: well, the one I wanted to ask um, of you guys, because I know that I have personally done it. What is a reference, perhaps self-indulgently, that you <laughs> snuck into an episode of yours that you would like to announce? Because I feel like we've all like snuck in little oh, references there's a, there's to Oh, there's too things. many. Yeah, there's I, too I many. Know, there's, there's a lot.
0: Yeah, <laughs> there's um, a
3: lot. <laughs> I don't think maybe, there might be, barring the uh, Peregrination ship names, which are their own thing. There might not be another ship anywhere in the show that isn't some reference to something, I think. I think all of our yeah. ship names, especially, yeah. um, tend to be that. Uh, I know we have both Walden Station from uh, uh, <laughs> on Walden Pond and stuff like that. And then we have Rogers Station mm-hmm. for Kenny. Uh, No. Yeah. What was, Russia, what was Rogers Station? Yeah. I know it was a reference to something. Will Rogers. yeah, Will Rogers. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: For some reason, I was trying to... We have yeah, the yeah. spaceport. Uh, Jameson yeah, Space yeah. We, have,
3: uh, we have Sixen and Delaney From uh, Which are shipyards That are both uh, Sci-fi writers mm. um, We've got I keep accidentally Putting Mass Effect References and stuff Without meaning to Because Arcturus station Is straight from Mass Effect
2: I actually Arcturus is from So see Here's where, where We're crossing the streams yeah. I thought you were Referencing Starcraft <laughs> Because of the character Arcturus Minx in StarCraft, oh okay, that's who I thought you were referencing. No, although um, I did,
3: I did in some of my other scripts, I did mess up and, and replace Tethys with Tychus, which is a character from StarCraft as that's well. StarCraft, on
2: yeah.
1: <laughs> I gotta say, I think my favorite one that's not really—it it was just self-indulgent. It was fun. In Oh Beautiful, Kirsty's ship is named the Damocles, and they go to Syracuse Station, which all ties together mm-hmm. into the same. Yeah, myth. that's great. Because uh, I'm a nerd. Well, like,
3: uh, there are oh, no, no. I was just saying, there's little ones like uh, uh, in uh, Joe Brand mentions. Uh, scrappers are sometimes called Henleys in um, uh, I Walk mm-hmm. These Hills, and that's just because the uh, the Scrounger character from Great Escape is called Henley. So it's like, okay, well then we're just going to use that as, it, as as this is this little
1: piece of cult, pop culture is filtered down. <laughs> I love that stuff. I have a bunch of just like, there's some random disc stuff shown in there. There's yeah, checkers yeah. guide stuff, but it's just like one off little, I, I I could write yeah, this one yeah. going to. I did
3: steal a line from Terry Pratchett for season two. You guys will, you'll notice it when you hear it. I was just yes. like, I'm just going to take, I like this right. line. I'm just going to take it. Cause I, I want to make sure we have some Pratchett in here. <laughs>
2: I think the only thing, because uh, I have I have less of a spectrum to draw from because I am on a very strict one episode a season, um, <laughs> so I do not have as many as you guys have. But I definitely made deliberate um, Battlestar Galactica references because that's my personal like <laughs> yes. uh, the be all end all sci-fi is Battlestar Galactica, um, and so that was probably the one that I referenced the most <laughs> with just like little little hints towards.
3: Yeah. What's the point of doing a, of doing anything if you can't just indulge yourself in the, in, in the places that don't matter (laughs) otherwise, you know, like you put it, you, you do the right thing when it needs to be the right thing, but when it could be anything, indulge yourself.
1: I love looking down our locations list or our names list, because especially with locations, so many of them are references. Like I would probably say. 80% Eighty percent of our place names are yeah, references yeah. to stuff. Like even it's in great. the
3: visual for um, "I Walk These Hills," when I when I made that, I had to at one point I, I needed a arrivals and departures list. So I was like, so it's like, that well, so I good. could put anything in there. Well, let me just, and so it's like some of them are some of those are references to uh, other ships within the universe, and some of them are just like references to other podcasts and stuff. And it's like, yeah, whatever, <laughs> we can do. It.
1: <laughs> so my question is, what were, what were your directorial approaches? Like, how did you come into Directing an episode or a Uh, scene or whatever. um, Sure,
2: I can go first because my my answer is that I (laughs) sit and I go, hmm, wow, great job, everybody, because I really, I'm not, I I don't think directing is my strong suit um, in that I don't have a lot of opinions about it because I'm just so delighted to hear the individual takes that people bring to like a character in a scene that I usually don't find much, even if it's not necessarily what I initially envisioned, I usually don't find a whole lot that I need to nudge, because I'm even if it's not exactly what I had in mind, I'm like, oh, but that's also great. So I, I'm probably not the strongest of directors. And then in the first season, um, I... Acted in mine and Scott directed, so yeah. I made him do it. Was my answer in season one, yeah. um, and then in season two, I my episode so far, I, I've just sort of like listened and cheered everybody on because I it just it all sounds great to me. I don't. I wish I wish <laughs> I had like really deep thoughts and opinions about this, but I don't.
3: Tip for next time: what you can say is, well, when you when you cast such when you have such good actors, you don't need to do a whole lot, right? Exactly.
2: Say, or you when you make it. Scott Scott Paladin Paladin do it, um, then you don't really, you don't have to Which, think a whole lot about it. You just make him do it. Um, it's great.
1: The the good actors thing yeah, the, is legit true, yeah. though. We all, like, seriously, like, 90% is so good. Yeah, you yeah, don't want to change sure. anything. The approach
3: I've, again, yeah, yeah that's this sort of my approach. It's like, I want to hear what they do. I mean, I can give you a, a four-hour technical thing about, like, oh, well, first we need to do a table <laughs> read just so that I can get the broad, you know, range, and then also so they can get loose and all that stuff. But, like, really what it is, is the first thing you do is listen for what they're bringing and honestly interrogate whether or not what they what the what the performer has done that's different from what you expected to say to yourself is this better than what i did not just is it different is you know and don't ever get mad because they changed it but like to sit down and say is this better does this work you know try to figure it out because almost every time an actor has brought something slightly different to a role than i thought they were going to than i had envisioned in my head i find that they're adding something to it and that that Additional perspective is super valuable. And so then after that, it's just technical stuff of like listening for noise in the background and making sure they didn't stumble their words. And that stuff's all easy to just like listen for the technical part. The hard stuff is like, I need you to be more.
1: And you're like, they're like, what does mean? And you're like, I don't know. I don't have words. (laughs) <laughs> she said, it's the easy part. That's the hard part for me is listening to the technical stuff. Yeah, I was just gonna say, yeah. So
3: like, and then, and, and when it comes down to like trying to get the perform, if you, if there is a point where the performance you're getting from the, from your actor isn't quite matching up to what you need it to be, you know, they're not selling the character or whatever. It's always important to be able to tell the the performer something sort of specific. <laughs> I found that like the, the more generalized the direction I end up giving them the less change, you know, like if I say, I need you to be angrier, people Tend not to do it. (laughs) Like they, they have a hard time when you give them such a broad direction. But if you are changing something very specific, like I need you to put the emphasis on this word to change the 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 rhythm to ba 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 bump, you know. Or I need you to on this word go up on this particular word. Take all of your energy and put it there. You know, that's where you're supposed to be emoting. Or something specific like say this line with a smile on your face, actually smile when you do it. And because we'll hear it (laughs) and stuff like that. And if you can give them really specific direction about that, we are mostly working with with first time amateur actors who you can't just say, I need you to do it, but better, you know, you have to give them, you have to give them a lot. And doing that, you get such a different, that's when I start noticing differences, when you can tell them very specific, concrete things to change. And that requires you to have some knowledge on, or at least for me, requires me to have some knowledge on how to, to get those changes to happen. Uh, but that's that's the best way to get a good performance.
1: So that's one thing I I watched. I got to sit in on you directing sometimes and I do my stuff. What I noticed that was really fascinating is that I do write a lot of parentheticals. I write a character, how they said it, what they're thinking. I write it with more of a like, and then they are a police officer and just like uh, not even necessarily directions that make sense, but like the feeling of things. And then when I actually get into the recording, it's all right written down there. So I just kind of sit back and listen. What I've observed is that you give a lot more direction verbally as opposed to in the script, which was fascinating too, because it's like the stuff that I would have written on the script, you say to the people that are in recording. uh, I am not that, I can't off the cuff put language together like that. So it was just really interesting to see what it looked like where it was that, that information was given in the writing versus given verbally. And I, I mean, both came, all the performances came out amazing, but it was just neat to see the different kinds of approaches yeah, yeah. There's to like that. Two
3: different routes to get to the same sort of place. Yeah. And and one of the reasons I don't put a lot of, of parentheticals in my in my scripts is because I want the first time through, I want to hear just what their response is to it, because. They, people will sometimes bring things to it that I wasn't expecting. And like I said, a lot of the time that additional perspective is great. You know, they will have, they'll have, if I had told them to do this part angrily, then and it turns out that they needed, you know, maybe that would have implied that they put a lot of energy to it, but instead they take it quiet and do quiet anger or something. And it's like, when they do that, the the truth is the actors have spent almost as much time with these characters as I have at that point, if they've read their script over and have really been thinking about it. And so their perspective matters
1: and I want to hear it first. So... Yeah. Yeah. I had been writing Arcadia for about a year when I started this one. So I had a little experience with what kind of Mm -hmm. directions will give the feeling of it, but not what to do. Uh, Because I liked the same thing. I want to see what the actor does, but I want to see like, how are you expressing that you are super confused? I want to hear what their vocal choices are for that. So yeah, I, I learned, I did have some practice in, in how to give directions that will indicate the thing that needs to be done, but not how to do it. Um, yeah, it was a yeah. I'm just too. all
2: chaos at all times, and I hope for the best. Um, <laughs> these were all very thoughtful answers, and I'm just like, well, I'll let the actors say the words, and uh, it sounds good to me, um, which is pretty much how it goes. But he-
1: oh, look, I can say uh-huh. all these fancy words, but you've seen my feedback when they're actually recording; it's just incoherent g <laughs> and you're amazing. So. <laughs>
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a matter of like, we are. We can sound very eloquent when we're talking about it, but when we're yeah. actually doing it. Cause I have told people, like, I need you to, I need you God. to do that, but like, I need you to give me more. And they're like, what? And you're like, uh, take it yeah. to 14. A uh, yeah. phrase I had to kill myself, I used it a bunch in season one is, I need you to be about 20% more X emotion. And I was that every time <laughs> I said that to somebody, they then did the exact same thing afterwards. And I was like, oh, I am being not helpful here. <laughs>
1: Something that I found works well for that is like almost give the actor permission to take this as oh, yeah, yeah. far yeah, as yeah. you yeah. want to take it. Yeah, yeah. You- that was that. I, I had a lot of trouble. That's another thing that I learned from was able to learn in Arcadia, though is just tell people, look, you are not going to be yeah. too over the top with this. I yeah, promise yeah. <laughs> and that works. We're, it was With great. voice
3: acting, especially, you know, it's different for, for stage, it's different for screen and voice acting, especially you, just, you kind of can't overdo it. You, I mean, you can, but like, it's really hard to, to really overdo, especially when you're playing like a genre character. If it's a, if, you know, if it's a villain or something like that, or somebody who really is going over the top, like, man, you gotta, you gotta put all of it into your voice. And that is hard. I can
1: say that as a performer. <laughs> And especially working with first, a lot of – I love working with first-time voice actors because I, I think that we are a really good experience to work with just in general. But also I like people that are willing to do stuff because they don't really know what they should, quote-unquote, do. Uh, and being able to enthusiastically support them going all out with that is is a good feeling, but also it produces some amazing performances. So people from this show, I swear to God, they're going to go off and be famous voice actors or whatever. I know it, so –
3: There, there are ones on my list that I'm like, man, the fact that you aren't being paid for this stuff is, is a shame. And like, you need to be like the world, the world is unjust that these people aren't professionals. I would love to be able to pay people
1: for this. That would just be amazing. But speaking of patreon.com slash breathing (laughs) X space. Yes. Please give us money and then we'll give money to people to make more things. I have music. I want people to write and I have so much stuff, but I only have so much of a budget that I can put toward this. So Oh, and there's stuff. If you want like shirts and stuff, we make that. It's names.com. There's a little button that says, and if you want a product, I will probably be willing to make it and put it out there because that's fun. Uh, All that money goes right back into the show, though. I I have it set for a really, really low markup, as low as I could and cover stuff, but it goes straight back into making things or hosting costs or whatever.
3: We just want people to have our merch because it's cool.
1: Yeah, that's mostly it.
3: (laughs) Okay. Then that's a question I I just now thought of because it's, it's relevant there's stuff out there and this is probably a dangerous thing to say because it's it's by by definition <laughs> a we can't do this thing but what's the product that you want to do that you that we can't do for whatever reason like there's stuff that i would that you would dream oh. to be able to put out oh i had some shoot i want a lego set of our stations. Ooh, that'd be Ooh. lovely well yeah i was going to say or patches um the patch, yeah, patches look big th- one I've, I've i've talked around to various places and the only it's not so much the cuz i would mi- i wouldn't mind investing to buy 100 or 200 or whatever to do a run of them the problem is that then we have to ship mm-hmm. them <laughs> we have to have somebody that when somebody when somebody makes a purchase we have to we have to have a warehouse and, and have somebody do that and unfortunately that's where the the, the logistics are a problem
1: you know it got crazy. i would yeah. love patches that that's my big thing but it's logistically yeah. too too hard uh, mine to handle. for
2: a similar reason because it's something i've looked into as well as like uh I, they're called in the military challenge coins. Yes. Um, that's on my
3: list too. Yeah. Yeah. yeah,
2: yeah. Um, I, say, I don't know if that's the correct term for them otherwise, but um, the, that was something that I looked into even as just like a gift to give like sort of the internal crew. Um, mm-hmm. But it's another one of those things mm-hmm. that you can only really order if you're ordering like 500 of them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it was just, it was just not really feasible, but that was something I looked into. It was like, you know, challenge coins or whatever. And that would be the, the thing that I would really like is, uh, but it's just, yeah, it's just not feasible for where we're at.
1: Yeah. We're lucky enough that the place we do have is, is such a good print on demand for not super expensive. Yeah. Um, it's Can nice. We, so. If you're a, that
3: being said, if you're an RPG designer, um, and you want to do something in the breathing space world, uh, please, you don't even really need to get in contact with us. Cause our, I think our license is permissive enough to just start doing stuff. But yes. if you do want assistance or like access to the world Bible and stuff like that, and you're interested in doing that, just tweet at us or email, uh, yeah, like we, yes. we will be We will be so ecstatic for somebody to write an RPG or something along those lines in this space. It'd be great.
1: Doing a little happy wavies right now. Yes, please do that. <laughs> That'd be so cool. Reading space, actual play. Someone do it. I do. I am eventually tempted to write. So if no one else does, don't make me write this. Please write <laughs> it for us.
3: Otherwise there there are, there are some ideas that are floating around like I think a belonging outside belonging slash no dice no masters uh mm. game would be so good. I just don't have mm. the chops to write it, but yeah, please.
2: <laughs> I think that is all of our questions unless anybody has any others to add.
3: We've we've blathered long enough, I think.
2: <laughs> we do love blathering. This is what now. happens when you get a group of creatives together and you're like, "You want us to talk yeah. about the things we made? <laughs> Sit down." Yeah, yeah. would. We- <laughs>
1: Oh, oh one yeah. last question if, yeah. if I can Who is your favorite character From the first season? Mm. I know oh God,
3: Don't Picking a f- Forcing writers to choose Between their babies I know I'm evil well, and then also the, the thing of like, really for like, well, I, I feel the I feel compelled to be humble and pick somebody else's characters, but that's not actually true. But yeah, oh God. of course, my characters are my favorite. I, OK, here's a different I have, I have a different question, which maybe is easier for writers to answer. Who would you like to have seen get more screen time? Because I think I have an answer for that one, which is that I want more. Um, I just want more of the minor circus characters, uh, which I don't have a reason I, I to write. Going,
2: I was actually going to go with the circus characters uh, yeah. as well for that because I, I was and I and I told you all about it when it came out. But I was so delighted by that one because um, it gave me so many nostalgic feelings, and I really loved the way that it came together as. Uh, just a feeling of like camaraderie through creativity in theater. Um, and theater. Yeah. And it was just really, really lovely. Um, and I would love to see more of them, but yeah, I agree. It's a thing where it's kind of hard to work it back into the plot um, without just being like, this is a <laughs> season two electric boogaloo edition of the yeah. same. Like-
3: <laughs> and I, I guess I, I, my, my honest answer too, if you ask me this standing at the end of season one is also
1: Anson gasto. I just want to <laughs> see more of them. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yay wait for season two Uh, I can say I actually have a favorite and it's got to be Evie from the Radomal Falcons just because of Jen's voice I could listen to that episode on repeat for a very long time because it's so like the emotion doesn't hit me like it does some people uh, just because it's not quite dialed into my emotional set but the voice acting between the two of you is so good that I want it just forever they did such a good job yeah yeah uh,
3: that, that that's one of those performances that like the 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 actor and the script just lined up so well that to to just really provide uh, like i i'm blown away by gem in that episode every time i listen yeah. to it they're so good god yeah and i mean because I mean, truth be told that's that the character that particular character is one of the ones <laughs> that's probably closest to my heart <laughs> like i i can't like Evie, Evie, Evie lives in my skull like I I can't I can't let that character go in a certain respect mm-hmm. like, their story's kind of done now a little bit but like I love them so
1: much yeah I want more Campbell though as, as oh, it yeah, yeah. screen time uh, because she was really interesting and I, I I can feel the depth of that character and this person's just I can feel the weight yeah. of their life and I would love to get yeah, to yeah. see that.
2: I do have um, the like draft bones of a script for uh, that includes more of my season one characters. I just haven't, I just haven't given it more attention.
3: Yeah, um, sometimes so sometimes see. you write, sometimes you get really far <laughs> script and you're like, I, this isn't working the way I need it to. It needs to gel more or whatever. It's totally yeah.
2: That's what actually happened because I was going to write a sort of um, like follow on to my season one script for season two. And I had even worked on it and I do have like a couple of pages of it written, um, but it just wasn't really working for me. And then I ended up having an idea and writing something completely different. Um, and I'm glad I did because I think it turned out really well and I'm proud of it. Um, and yeah. I'm excited for everybody to hear it's it. And you'll get more of a of more of a gem and Scott.
1: <laughs> I actually have a space rock band story that I got through the first scene of and it's, I, I do want to eventually tell it, but I didn't know where I was going with it enough. So it's you've got this introduction to this space rockers and their agent but nothing yeah yeah. i got i got three
3: thousand four thousand words into one of my seasons two scripts and i had to throw it all away and start over oh Um, god and some of that worked its way back in like i saved the text of course and just you know if i needed a paragraph here and a paragraph there but i think i think most of it got tossed because it just wasn't working um and sometimes you just got a fate like that's that's such a that's such a a killer moment when you're like I've put hours into this and it I can't save <laughs> I can't save it.
1: <laughs> I do say that's something I noticed about all the writers of this uh, both seasons you guys were all really willing to stop on something and if it's not working I don't think anybody really will push it to work when yeah. it just clearly isn't yeah, and, so. And that's that, neat. That's it's hard. It's been
3: really interesting going from season 1 where there was I think Four, four, five writers, I think, uh, and then coming into the because we're now through the season two writing process where we had a, a team a team that was like twice that size of so many different people who'd come in and, and done scripts for us for season two. It was a really weird change.
1: I think we doubled these. It was four in the first mm-hmm. season. Oh yeah, we had four writers that went to air, and then I, I think we had four. It's at least eight writers yeah. for the second season. So yeah, it was it was mm-hmm. a shift got a
3: year for that one i
1: think <laughs> <laughs> exactly thank god all right huh. cool uh er- <laughs> it's nice to, get to hear you guys all talk about stuff i love hearing creative people talk mm. about their what they did uh, erica if you want to read we have two patrons we need to thank
2: so um we would like to thank uh we have is it two is it patrons or patreons yep. patrons. patrons yeah i'm so good at the internet um <laughs> we have uh two patrons that we would like to thank uh the first one is Eve Panouche, and then the second one is and I'm thinking about it. <laughs> Stoeef. Stoeef.
3: Oh, Scott, Scott. I'm This is a wild guess. It's Stoeif. It's um, But
2: I I don't know what your name is, patron. No. Fair patron. We're for, for, sorry.
3: But you have but doing... a
2: cute little like fox or cat as I your icon. That's the default
3: icon, actually.
2: And, uh, you know, it may be the default <laughs> icon, but nailing it. Um, well, and I but... think your name is Stoeef. <laughs> I'm not sure.
1: I would go stove? stove. Maybe it's just Steve.
2: Either way, thank you so much.
1: <laughs> Please email Steve. us and tell us how to pronounce your name so we can correct it in a future version of this.
0: Yes, I, I will cut
3: in the correct pronunciation. We of should have a, one of the Texas speech programs try it and see what we get. Um <laughs> back either back way, our,
2: thank you so much. Uh, yeah,
3: to, to our patrons. Thank you so much. You are you're providing resources that we are gonna pour right back into the show. Um if anybody else wants to um join the Patreon, uh that is patreon.com slash breathing space. Um, I'm going to revamp the tiers, so I'm not going to tell you what they are right now, uh, because they'll probably be different by the time this episode comes out. Um, but you can get some rewards, which is like being being thanked in episodes like this. Um, you can get some ability to ask the the patrons, for example, had a chance to ask questions early. And then also uh, at a particular tier, you're going to get your episodes through two, three days before everybody else. So.
1: I do because it's my own personal ethic thing. I, I don't like having content behind paywall, so hopefully we won't. You won't get special content yeah. that's just for you. No, you won't get it early. Like before anybody else does. Yeah. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Give us money, please. We want to use it to make more money, stuff, or more <laughs> show stuff, and stick around until what's the uh, official launch day for season two? My, I have to check the website because I don't remember. I don't remember anything myself, and write it all down, which is why I'm good at it's keeping notes for things. So, be March fourth.
3: Yeah, because that's the yes. first March fourth, Friday.
1: Yes, and it'll be first and third Friday of the month, as it was this cool. year. Excellent, awesome. All right, I have to go to the grocery store and then cook us food. But that was really fun. Thanks for, for thanks for putting our in.